You're listening to PorchDrinking.com's The Porchcast, brought to you by ONTAP Credit Union. And now, The Porchcast. All right, Porch Drinkers, welcome to episode 100 of Porchcast. My name is Tristan. I am your co-host for the evening and very stoked to be joined by our full crew of Brian Vanderweerd and Corey, 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 the the man of many last names, uh, Corey David. uh, We've got the full crew here for a special episode 100 and couldn't be more special because we are excited to welcome our guest for the show, Jesse Bussard of the Craft Maltsters Guild. You're the executive director of the Craft Maltsters Guild? Yes, sir. (laughs) Executive director. Broadcasting from outer space uh, today. Yes, yes. The great unknown. It's a picture of um, the starry pillars, which is like a yeah. It's a it's a stellar nursery that like it's a picture that was taken by I I believe this is a hub a hub telescope picture. Very (laughs) cool. Well, Jesse, we are thrilled to have you on the show, uh, and we definitely want to dive into all things craft malting. But before we do, I got to give a big special shout out to our sponsors. On tap credit union, who you know they're not your average financial partner. They make ban- banking as easy as enjoying your favorite beverage while providing great financial advice in a friendly and welcoming environment. With On Tap, Colorado comes first, which is why they offer low loan rates for cars, homes, credit cards, and more. And with On Tap's mobile app, you can have instant access to your accounts, whether you're meeting friends at a local brewery, out on the slopes, or wherever your next adventure takes you. They're member-owned, Colorado Proud, and federally insured through NCUA. Learn more at ontapcu.org. All right. Uh, just a reminder, if you're joining us on uh, for the show, be sure to tune in on all of your listening devices and subscribe, whether, whether you're listening on iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Play, whatever it is, be sure to rate us and subscribe. All right. Jesse, let's start at the very beginning. What is craft malting? Um, for those who might not be as familiar with the terminology, uh, what is this de- designation? What does it mean? And what does the Craft Maltsters Guild, uh, wh- wh- what is its role in craft beer? Sure. Um, so craft malting uh, kind of came out of a desire for uh, brewers to, to use locally grown and malted grains. Um, and it all started uh, with you know a handful of maltsters back in the the mid 2000s um, that kind of got started. Uh, the guild kind of came around in the early 2010s, and uh, once the guild was formed, it kind of started to provide this professional organization for the industry to grow and learn and provide quality standards, things like that. Um, we we saw this kind of explosion of growth in the industry, um, but yeah, the the. Craft malting is really, it's about connecting beer uh, back to place. Uh, It's about, you know, the fact that beer is an agricultural product um, and and malt is really the foundation of of beer as flavor and, you know, it gives it mouthfeel, gives it body. It's it's so important for so many things in beer. Um, So yeah, without malt, there would be no beer. Um, And craft malt is really, since it's come onto the scene, um, it's, been around for roughly 15 years now. Uh, the guild's going to be turning 10 next year, uh, so it's kind of an estimate. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's 
it's also, it's really important for a lot of the innovation um, that we've seen within the, the world of malt lately. There's definitely a lot more research happening on terroir and um, re regionally adapted barley varieties and, you know, developing new varieties for brewing and distilling. Um, I think, you know, we're seeing a lot more of that happening over the last 20 years or so because of craft beer and, and consecutively because of craft malt, so. What were just out of curiosity? I mean, it, what potentially like prevented the malt, like the craft malting industry, from kind of getting going in the first place? You know, because as long as craft beer has been around, I think there's been a need and a desire to use the highest quality ingredients possible. Was it a barrier to entry because of equipment? Was it just a lot of competition from bigger companies, infrastructure? What kind of stuff was in the way in the first at the first place? It really goes back to the history of kind of malting's, uh, you know, just the role of malting in, in, the, in the history of malting over the last 200 years in this country or so. Um, when, when we look back historically, uh, before Prohibition, you know, before World War I, all that, breweries were buying their grain locally from a farmer. Uh, many times breweries had their own malt house already in um, connected to the brewery or something. And, you know, so the breweries had a direct connection to where their malt was coming from. And then during the civil war and following that with the industrial revolution, you saw a lot of consolidation in many industries, including brewing and distilling and malting. Um, and so then prohibition came around and that was kind of the last nail in the coffin for the small local maltster that, you know, we would have had pre-prohibition. Yeah. Um, you know, if there's nobody brewing beer, making alcohol, nobody needs malt. So, you know, a maltster is kind of out of a job, just like the brewer and the distiller were. Um, so I, I really think prohibition was really the thing that really took malting back a peg and, and the big conglomerate ones, you know, the ones that were able to scale and, and survive prohibition and come up out on the other side of it, continue to produce malt or um, who survived. And it was, it was larger companies, not small guys. Yeah. Jesse, you mentioned terroir um, earlier, kind of in the intro. Uh, I'm, I'm curious, is, did that play, is that what, what has played a large role in this, you know, sudden explosion of interest in, in craft malt? Do you feel like that has been a driving factor um, along, I mean, you, you mentioned, you know, terroir and, and, and innovation, but how, how important is this sense of representing, you know, locality in brewing, representing, you know, local, local ingredients, um, local varietals that are that are native to those regions. How 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 big is that role when it comes to this this growing interest in craft malting? Yeah, so I think terroir does play into it somewhat. Um, I would say craft malt success maybe isn't a sudden success. So it's not been a sudden interest. I would describe it more as it's been a gradual um, kind of build up um, over this so past. Roast. Yeah, it's been a slow roast. Um, you know, craft malt's finally like getting to the point where it's mature, the roast is ready to take out of the oven. Um, you know, there's a lot of scale happening right now in the industry, uh, scaling up, and there's new folks, you know, also coming into it now. Um, it's kind of if you think about craft malt and kind of think about how the timeline with the beer ran with craft beer ran, I would say like craft malt is like 20 years behind where craft malt 
or craft beer was, you know, as far as just like how the industry scaling is up. But you can't compare it com exactly to craft beer because they're different types of industries. Craft malts B2B and craft beer is, you know, is more retail side, uh, consumer um, side. So it's a little different. Um, but uh, yeah. Do you, do you feel like there's a growing interest from the consumer side of things? You know, I was recently out in Asheville, North Carolina, um, at a little place called Cellarist, and I noticed oh, yeah, they're they're craft malt certified. Exactly, and I noticed that craft malt certification. I feel like, you know, there's more and more I'm seeing, you know, great branding. I I know that that's coming from you guys in terms of awareness campaigns. You know, not just for breweries, but also for the consumer side of understanding what is craft malt. And I guess, I guess how often or, or, or how frequently are you, are you hearing from consumers and, and wanting to learn more about it? And is there, is there more that can drive kind of the consumer interest to a, to a larger level? That's a really good question. I don't have a great answer. Um, you know, we don't get a lot of uh, interaction with the consumer. I mm -hmm. wish we did, you know, ha ha I wish we had more of that. Sure. Um, our consumer, Craft Malt's consumer, is ma majority uh, breweries, distilleries. Uh, so you know we don't we kind of don't get that much time with the beer drinker or the spirits drinker at the end. Um, we have to kind of work through the middle guy, uh, which is the the brewer distiller. Um, so yeah, we we do I do see like Craft Maltsters reaching out to their breed customers and their distillery customers and offering to do you know, educational events, partner run mm. events that they're, they're having at the tasting room or something and use it as an opportunity to educate the public about craft malt um, and malt flavor and malt sensory and things like that. You know, the, the hot steep sensory evaluation method for, for malt is a great way to, to be able to experience malt, you know, in that, uh, work flavor and really just evaluate the different flavor profiles of it. So that's that's a lot of times what people will do is the the um Molster will go in and do a um hot steep demo and you know take four or five other malt samples in and then have those uh beer drinkers try each one of the different malt hot steeps and compare and contrast and and learn how to describe those flavors and understand um the uh, different processes and uh, you know that are causing the they're causing the flavor profiles that they're experiencing. Yeah, well, I know that you know the hop industry in particular. I think maybe definitely within the past ten years, maybe even fewer hops have been glamorized like so much by marketing departments and consumers. Oh, yeah. Where that didn't used to be the case, right? Like you would just get a beer and you would know that it's hop forward if it's like an IPA or you could expect a certain profile from like an English beer or something along those lines. But now it's front and center on the packaging. You know, it's on it's on menu items. Yeah. Do you do you have you guys made efforts to or think that the malt industry can get to that place where you're really highlighting a specific malt that makes this beer so unique and like influencing marketing departments to showcase that? Boy, I hope we do, <laughs> or or at least I would love it if Hops would would refer their their you know publicists to me because right? um, I'd like to to hire them. <laughs> you guys have um, noticed that too, right? Like that didn't used to be the case. No, they've did a, like, Hops have done a fantastic job at marketing themselves as a category as a whole. 
Um, and of course, yes, the, the, their whole angle of, you know, being able to associate variety and flavor profile and doing all that research on the flavor and aroma um, yeah. compounds and stuff. They have a, they're light years ahead of malt in that regard when it comes to flavor and sensory uh, descriptors and things like that. We're working on it in malt, but the research just hadn't happened yet. And so it, things are a little bit behind. Um, but there's definitely a lot more uh, information on malt flavor and sensory now than there was 10 years ago. So um, I'm hopeful that things are changing. Yeah, um, I, I know like for, for us at the guild like the one way we're trying to showcase the um you know the the quality of malt of craft malt but also just the 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 flavor and and um the color and all the different you know malt quality parameters is through our malt cup competition that we host every year and this year we we're, we expanded it to four categories so we're, we're judging hail and pilsen and vienna and munich malts um, and, you know, we're getting samples from all over the world for this competition, uh, 33 different mall houses um, from across the globe and all, almost 100 different entries. And, you know, we're, we're able to get this really cool diversity of flavor and um, just malt quality parameters that we wouldn't otherwise and in a really big spread of varieties that um, it's just interesting to see like all the the different types of barleys that people are using, the way they're malting them, the flavors that they're seeing from those varieties. Uh, yeah, it's cool. Yeah, that's cool that you guys have a competition. It's nice that it's a it's not a work competition because I feel like anybody outside of the industry would think that's a very different thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's like yeah. if the branding department was just like, we're gonna call it the ward off. I'm like, I don't think people are gonna like no, that. No, it's malt <laughs> Um Yeah, it's, there's, it's two, it's like judged on two things. There's a there's a quality uh, kind of more analytical round where we run malt quality certificate of analysis on those samples and they have to meet the quality specs. Um, that that kind of weeds out the first uh, you know round and then it goes on to sensory judging and that's when it goes through a hot steep process and the wort is sampled and tasted and judged against the style standard. Um, for that category of malt and um, we have a whole uh, crew of uh, like this year we have almost 170 judges helping with the malt cup they're all remote uh, volunteer folks and they're like majority brewers this year which is really cool to see so do they get sent those samples to to judge that's that's pretty uh, <clears throat> yep. I feel like that's that's a lot of coordinating yeah, yeah, and it's it's a joint effort between me and uh, here at the at the guild headquarters and um, Hannah Turner at Montana State University's malt quality uh, lab. So um, and Draft Lab as well. Lindsay Barr from Draft Lab is our other uh, partner and kind of co-organizer on it. So now, if somebody when when is this, and if somebody wanted to get involved, how would they go about it? Well, uh, the competition submission window closed last month, um, like on October 15th, I think. Um, so we're not accepting any more entries. We have most of our judging crew lined up at this point, but if they wanted to help out next year, we all, there's always an opportunity to get involved in the next year. Um, cool. But the, the judging is actually right now in progress. So um, I would just say stay tuned uh, and come to maybe come to the Craft Malt Conference in March uh, 2023 in Portland, Maine, if you want to be present for the live award ceremony for the Malt Cup. Um, it's always a big, big fun time. Sweet.
Very neat. Now, um, you know, we, we talk about, you know, heirloom malts. For those who might not be as familiar, I feel like there's been such a, there's been a couple of buzzy words that have been coming about in the industry in terms of, you know, it's been around, those terms have been along, around for a while, but it's been buzzy in the sense of people are wanting to, you know, always find a way to, to, to label quality, higher quality goods, you know, mm -hmm. things that have been around that aren't in, affected by GMOs. Talk to us about heirloom versus heritage, heritage uh, malts and, and what kind of, um, I guess, what kind of appeal they have when it comes to brewing or distilling. Okay. Uh, I think that heirloom and heritage kind of are the same thing. Um, it could also, you could also call them ancient grains. I mean, I, I've heard of people calling them ancient grains as well. Um, so heritage varieties would be more like if it was like a variety that had been used, you know, historically or in the early 1900s or something like that, then it could, it could be a heritage variety that's been well, well, well known in the industry. Um, but uh, maltsters are using a, a lot of new varieties and also old varieties like these heritage and heirloom ones that you're talking about. Um, and I think the appeal there is just that, you know, there's probably flavors uh, that maybe we have lost or forgotten about um, that are present in those, those uh, varieties that aren't commonly used anymore that people want to, you know, see if they can discover something new. Um, what can it add to craft beer? Uh, you know, can it expand the flavor profiles of, of current beer styles? Uh, can we create something completely new with it? Um, yeah, I'm not. I'm not exactly sure what exactly you want me to talk to about there. Maybe give me a little bit more. Um, sure. Well, I mean, just out of personal curiosity. So, I guess what's the from what I understand of something that might be more like heirloom or ancient. It's the stuff that's been around for a long time, right? But yeah. I think most curious to me in particular is I hate to you know reference the hop industry again, but um, I know for, I'm from back in upstate New York, where okay. once was a prominent hop growing region, fell over the wayside likely because of prohibition. And they're really starting to revamp their efforts, particularly at Cornell University, um, which I'm sure you guys are working with also, um, yep. big agriculture school. And where they've found is that the where they found the need for craft hops, craft malts in the future is coming up with your own unique varietals that as opposed to just getting like a two row that somebody can get from a major supplier, uh, what is it that the malt industry is kind of coming up with in order to kind of move away from the ancient grains, if you will, or the heirloom grains that people could technically get anywhere and for cheaper and onto like some new unique varietals that, uh, that you guys are helping cultivate? Yeah, so a lot of work is being done to develop regionally adapted varieties for specific regions. And Cornell, um, thanks for bringing them up, is a great example of someone that's already done this with malting barley. Um, oh it was like 2020, I believe, or maybe 2021. They just released a new uh, barley variety that's specifically adapted for New York State and the Northeast region called uh, Excelsior Gold is what it's called. And, and yeah, it's, it's, a, it's some spring malting barley line that uh, they developed right there at Cornell and uh, it's, it's doing pretty well. And then another great example is Virginia Tech recently, uh, just this past year, put out a new variety called Avalon. Um, and it is another malting barley variety, uh, Riverbend Mulhouse and Murphy and Rude Malting um, in Virginia. They're both using it uh, now to 
they finally have enough uh, green that they produce from, you know, trying to create enough seed to grow it over the past few years to, to malt it now. And it's, they're excited to be using this new regionally adapted variety that is, is showing really great trials, you know, in the field and it's got good flavor. It's got good malting quality. Um, they're really happy with it. So I, you're, we're seeing a lot more of that uh, happening across the country. And I think you will, as we go forward, just because it's a, it's a huge deal when we talk about environment and climate change and things like that, um, being able to adapt to, to their changing environment is so critical with agriculture because farming is at the mercy of mother nature. And if your crop can't withstand what mother nature throws at it, you're not going to have a, a harvest. Yeah. Now, do you see, do you find that a lot of the craft monsters that are out there now are people that are essentially starting from scratch or is it farmers that are basically we're looking for a new industry to get in because they saw a lot of potential in it like is it people that are kind of like from they're starting from zero you know it's all new equipment it's all new everything or is it mostly farmers that are just they were maybe into a bunch of different things that they weren't as profitable for them or anymore they could it's do. a mix it's really a mix but i will say yes there are a lot of farmers that are getting into craft malting because they see it as an opportunity to value add to a crop they're already growing Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe they're switching from one crop to malty and barley, and this is the way they're going to add value to that product and sell it as, you know. Um, so yeah, it's definitely, it's something that, uh, it's a lot of interest to farmers. We've actually had a few different mall houses just join in the past month that, um, you know, were farmer-based, uh, farmer-owned mall houses. Uh, but we do have a lot of mall houses too that aren't farmer-owned. They're, they're their own entity and they have partnerships with farmers in their areas that they've worked to form and relationships that they build up um, that are that they're working with year over year to supply them with the grain that they need. Sure. Now what typically would distinguish somebody that's a member of the craft malting guild as opposed to you know any other supplier that's out there like what kind of things that can you kind of guarantee promise that you're working with with the vendors that you're working the breweries that you're working with essentially or distilleries um, that hey this is what these people represent that you might not get from somebody else. Yeah, so we have three things that we really focus on um, when we define craft malt and what a craft malt stir should be. Um, we want them to be small, local, and independent. Um, very similar to kind of the Brewers Association's guidelines for what an independent brewery is. Um, it's the same thing for craft malt. Um, when we say small, we're, we're looking at a, a production uh, window of between five and 10,000 metric tons a year. Um, so that's total production over the whole year. And then um, the, we're going to look at sourcing so that we want them to be local. So where, they're, where are they sourcing their grain? So at least 50% of that needs to be sourced within a 500 mile radius of their mall house. Um, and for a lot of these mall houses that are farmers, they're growing it right there on site, right by the mall house. It's not an issue. Um, but even if they're not growing it right by the mall house, there's we give them up to a 500 mile radius. So there's some flexibility there. If maybe they don't have a great harvest close by, they can go a little bit farther away and find uh, something that's gonna meet malting quality specs. Um, and then the last thing is just, it's based on ownership structure. Uh, we want it to be at least 76% independently owned. 
uh, by so that majority ownership of, of independence and um, no, you know, no large corporate entities um, having a large scale of ownership in the business. Okay. You know, I know that you all created a, a seal to to kind of note, you know, demark these types of uh, malt houses, correct? Well, you're thinking of the craft malt certified seal. Okay. That's a little different. That's for breweries and distilleries. Okay. And that, gotcha. that is a that's similar to the independent brewery seal. Um, that's probably why you're thinking of that. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, the craft malt seal more has to do with um, yes, those it signifies that the brewery is sourcing local malt, um, but it has more to do with it that they've made a commitment to source at least 10% or more craft malt um, uh, on an annual basis. Um, gotcha. Cool. Absolutely. And we also have like designations, kind of a variation of that seal um, that they can put like on specific beers. If they had like, you know, one beer that they said, this is our craft malt certified beer. And maybe the other beers on their tap list weren't made with craft malt. They can do that too. Sure. Now, I, I read in a recent interview that you guys are up to, is it 70, some over 70 members? Just, just shy of 70, 69. That's exciting. <laughs> Fun. Now, is the biggest barrier for somebody that is interested in using um, a craft molster typically price? Is, is it outreach? You know, is it people just don't know where they can get it? It seems like it would be the kind of thing that if you're a brewer, you're kind of exercising every option, you know, so it doesn't, know if, doesn't seem like communication would be the biggest thing. Is it usually a cost effective issue? I would say probably cost is maybe the initial largest barrier uh, for some breweries. Um, volume availability could be another. Um, craft monsters are smaller operations. If it's a larger, you know, mid-sized brewery, uh, they, that craft monster just might not be able to produce enough uh, malt for what they need. Um, so, you know, there's, it depends on the size of the brewery and the size of the maltster. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, they run the gamut in size, just like craft brewers do. So um, it depends on, on, is there one near you? Is what's their, their volume capacity? How much malt do you need? Um, but yeah, price is probably the big thing. Um, and then the other, just maybe lack of awareness of what it is. Um, and then there's always the myth of um, quality issues with craft malt, um, which, Brewers will say, oh, craft monsters, they, you know, there's the quality's not there. And that's just a bunch of hooey. It's, it's doesn't mean anything. Um, we've worked really hard to establish uh, good quality standards in this industry. And um, there are two well respected malt quality labs in the United States that work very closely with all our craft malt houses. Uh, so I can, I can speak to the quality of the craft malt in this industry um and our malt cup really shows who's the best the best of these <laughs> yeah. so. i'm sure that helps to elevate you know oh it does and that's a big part of the competition is is providing a venue a vehicle to elevate those uh craft monsters doing the best you know of the of their craft um it's it's just this, it's the same as gbf or world beer cup it's we're giving them an opportunity to showcase that thing that they made and um you know really get it compared but to their their peers and what's happening uh, across the industry. Now, how did you get involved with the Craft Maltsters Guild? I, I love to hear kind of your, your journey mm. uh, in getting involved in this organization. So back a long time ago, I used to live in Bozeman, Montana. And um, 
I moved away from there about a year ago, but uh, there was a malt house opening up outside of Bozeman uh, in Manhattan, Montana. Uh, it was, it's called Gallatin Valley Malt. You may have heard of them. Um, they, they've won a, a malt cup last year for their pale malt. Um, but they're they're great folks, and I helped build a website for their their company and helped them with their mission statement and just developing like the business uh, goals and product line and everything like that. And they were the folks that introduced me to the Craft Monsters Guild, and this was back 2019, um, early 2019, maybe 2018. But um, anyways, long story short, the guild hired me. And my business partner, who were running an events promotions company at the time, uh, to do the event contractor work for the 2019 Craft Malt Conference in Bozeman, Montana, um, which happened to be there, my where I was living. So I got contracted by the guild to do this work. Um, about six months later, uh, the former executive director informed me that she was going to be leaving her position and that that position would be coming open. And she's like, I think you'd be really good for this job. So uh, she encouraged me to apply and uh, I did and I ended up getting hired. So it, it kind of just serendipitously worked out through, you know, you meet one person and then eventually get introduced to something and go from there. Yeah. Now, in your time as executive director with the guild, what are some of the, I guess, biggest milestones that you feel like you all have achieved? What are some of the best stories maybe that you've seen from working with these local, you know, independent mulsters who are grinding it out? I'm sure the, the pandemic was difficult on, uh, you know, small independent mulsters um, having to deal with supply chain issues. Um, we'd love to hear some, just, you know, some of the inspirational stories that, you know, really drive you to, to push this, you know, to the next level uh, these days. Yeah, I would say the, the exciting thing, you know, despite everything that we've, we've been through the past three years, um, we've, the, the industry has continued to grow. Um, yes, there, there have been challenges and sales slowed for a little bit during the early days of the pandemic, but things rebounded and picked back up. Um, we've continued to see growth in the, uh, number of mall houses that we have in our organization. Uh, we've continued to just see growth in production volume. Um, we ran a production survey just over the summer and we actually were able to figure out that production since 2019 has increased 60%, uh, for the industry. And, we're predicting another 30% uh, increase in production in 2023. So, um, you know, that's almost double the volume since 2019, which is crazy. Um, and that's only been, you know, it'll only have been four years. So um, I think that's probably the biggest thing is you can, despite everything, we're still growing. There's still um, exciting things happening in the craft malt world. And I, I really am excited about all the, interesting work coming down the pike with the variety developments that we're seeing from universities. Um, Oregon State in particular has a really cool project going on right now where they're trying to um, develop a, uh, well, they're not trying to, they have, um, they're, they're working on developing this specific, a, a, a cultivar uh, that is a, it's basically a cross between Maris Otter and another um, barley that is a German, 
I think it's a German line, but they've crossed them and they're trying to make an American Marisotter version. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Now, actually, just out of curiosity, what are your, what would you say your like top two favorite beer styles are and what is it about the malt in them that really makes them like your favorites? Um, all time favorite, favorite beer styles are Schwartz beer, um, for sure. And, um, gosh, probably the other one would have to be like a, just a really good Czech Pilsner. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is there anything about the, like the malt in those? Like, um, I enjoy in the Schwartz beer, particularly, I like them to have a nice balance of, um, like chocolate malt flavor and roast. Um, and with that, you know, just dryness, um, just like that part. And uh, with Czech Pilsners, just a nice biscuit, biscuity, bready, you know, Pilsner with that crisp, just crisp and bitter hoppiness. Yeah. yeah. You know, the refreshing, it's just so refreshing. Yeah, I agree. The spot. <laughs> I know. Well, I know we talked a little bit about the innovation in terms of new varietals that are coming down the pipeline and have oh. been. Is there are there any other um, major innovations that you guys have kind of helped with or figured out technology wise, you know, maybe process wise that through working together that you figured out, wow, we've got this new piece of tech that actually makes our lives easier, improves the process, things of that nature? I don't have a good answer for that one. That's okay. Just tell us a little bit about feels because I know that. I don't know if you've you've had much time to explore because I know hop feels or thiols um, are becoming more and more prevalent on the market. And I actually just recently experienced the first beer that utilized thiols to to really accentuate the malt profile in beer. Have you have you guys? I actually don't know anything about thiols in yeah. beer, so I can't speak to that at all. Um, somebody texted me the other day one of my friends did about like get, having someone speak about that um and i i honestly don't know what it is yeah i i'm still very new to the malt side of it and in all honesty the one that i tried wasn't very good um it was it was actually a czech pilsner i believe um that utilized hop or malt thiols and it just what, gave what it does a thiol taste like well, it, it it itself is not, I don't think you're supposed to gather taste from the thiols themselves. Okay. It's just a protein that is used to accentuate or draw out qualities from like for hops, for example, it makes it more aromatic. You generally get more of kind of that musty kind of grape profile, sometimes uh, some, some more fruit forward profiles. And with this one, it was definitely a little bit more you know, wine-like and, and taste, which is not what I was looking for from a Czech Pilsner. Um, and so, yeah, I, I'm just curious as to, you know, obviously, you know, we're still, we're both still kind of discovering this element of it. Yeah. But... I literally just learned about this like yesterday and yeah. um, I still haven't had time to read about it. Um, but yeah, someone, it, it, texted me about it and was like, hey, this would be a good topic for like a conference or sure. session or a, a, a webinar or something. And I'm like, yeah, tell me about it. Um, <laughs> I have not I had a chance to explore yet. Well, I mean, we uh, we do have, I mean, we tend to get a little hard hitting with our questions here. So this mm -hmm. one's going to be a little more controversial. 
Hmm. When do we see the smear campaign come out for um, for, for uh, hard seltzers? I mean, it's it's the question we've all been waiting for. How do we take down hard seltzers? When when is the craft maltsters guild leading this charge? And how do we get behind this cause? I, I don't I don't I don't have a comment. Oh, yeah. um, I'm just taking on big water. <laughs> I, I can't. I, all I can say is that the Craft Monsters Guild doesn't um, support. Like, uh, we don't support that industry. Uh, <laughs> you know, because we're we're monsters and uh, we're supplying craft brewers and distillers. So we really don't we don't have much to say on it because we don't really participate in it. Um, but uh, the ever so diplomatic response. I, the one thing I can say is we do explicitly say on our um, usage guidelines for our craft malt certified seal, which we created for brewers and distillers to use on product packaging. We do explicitly say that it is not allowed to be used on hard seltzer or on um, ready to drink cocktails. So mm. just we don't we don't allow our 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 seal to be used in that product labeling, but um, we're not, you know, everybody's allowed to drink what they like. I'm, I'm just kidding. You know, I'm just messing around. Now on the distilling side, um, are you seeing kind of similar adoption from distilleries? Is there kind of a, a greater kind of interest from one industry or the other in terms of distilling versus brewing? Certain segments of the distilling industry, yes. Um, not all of the distilling industry, um, obviously, you know, a lot of distilled spirits aren't even made from malted grains, um, you know, they're made from raw grain. So um, it's, it's that kind of, the maltster's not even in, in the picture in those cases. Um, but for, in particular, for example, the American single malt whiskey uh, movement, which is a big deal uh, right now for uh, whiskey people and and just those of us in the world of craft malting and, and malt barley in general um because that is getting ready to become a finalized federally designated um whiskey category and so it's, there's, there's gonna a lot of opportunity for growth and um in you know in new customer base there for maltsters um through the the uh, adoption wider adoption of american single malt whiskey as a category and you know increasing production of it once we get this designation. So yeah, I think there's there's definitely a lot more interest in it. It's, a, it's gonna be a big topic for us at our 2023 conference in Portland, um, especially. So we're, we're having a lot of uh, distilling specific whiskey centric type talks, so. Very cool. Yeah, I know I know from a crossover standpoint, our, uh, our friends and sponsors over at Law's Whiskey House utilize Colorado Malting Company. Um, for a lot of their grains. And I think that's so cool because um, the they're also, you know, the Cody brothers who run Colorado Malting Company also run their own brewery and the Colorado Farm you. Brewery. So such a cool crossover in terms of both supporting the distilling world, uh, the brewing world, and, and also running their own brewery too. So uh, I think uh, that's got to be a pretty cool showcase when it comes to kind of the full gamut of what, what a, a craft maltster can do, right? Yeah, and Colorado Brewing Company and Colorado Malting and Brewing, all that, they're one of the oldest craft mall houses like in the US. Um, they've been around since like, I think 2008 or maybe even before that. Um, so they're one of our, our OGs in the industry. Um, 
and they're really cool because they're that they're they've got that whole farm to a brewery kind of focus. Um, mm. And, yeah. and they and I what I find so interesting is that they from working with laws uh, they they were able to kind of resurrect or or revive kind of this heirloom grain um, in that San Luis Valley rye. Uh, that you know that was on the brink of being discontinued just from lack of usage. Uh, but uh, it's just cool when when you hear those kind of stories and and you know how they can bring back something that has used to be so iconic and and well well used and and now kind of give it a new life. So um, well, cool. Anything else about the craft malting world that that maybe we haven't touched on that you think is. Uh, relevant to consumers or, or maybe breweries these days that uh that you know you, you feel like is, is really kind of prevalent in the, in the industry right now um i i, I think that really the, the thing i'm probably most excited about with craft malt right at the moment is is that development possibility of a, a maris otter kind of american maris otter version mm-hmm. um you know I think you had you, one of the questions in your show notes was like something about is there anything that uh, in malt that might have that capacity to capture? Um, now that I'm thinking about this, is is just that that possibility of having an American version of a Maris Otter kind of, mm. and because we know how famous that variety of malt has been in England and just abroad, like everybody, when you hear Maris Otter, you, you're like, oh, well, I know it's going to be good because it's made yeah. Maris Otter. Um, and Golden Promise is another one that's like everybody loves. Um, you know, if we can get that here in the U.S. and like create our own kind of niche with that, that would be very cool. Um, yeah. If we could have a, a variety of barley or something that was ours that we could say, yeah, that's that's this you know, in that beer. Um, yeah. Very cool. All right. I'm going to buy some stock in Golden Promise and uh, American Maris Otter. Yeah, the variety is actually called Lantra. Um, It's not commercially available yet. And um, Oregon State University is doing the research on it. And Admiral Maltines is working with them to do like malting trials. Um, There's going to be an article about it in the Q4 Guild newsletter, which is coming out in a couple weeks. Um, So look for it there. And uh, in OSC's Harvest Report. And um, Definitely, if you're if you're thinking about you know you want to get um, more interest, you want to increase your interest in craft malting. We um, our craft malt conference is in March of 2023, the 16th to the 18th, and you we said are. That's all, in excuse me. You said that's in Portland. Yeah, it's in Portland, Maine, not the not Oregon. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> East coast, not west. So yeah, yeah um, that's that's a great opportunity to learn more about craft malting. Get for meet craft maltsers firsthand, talk to brewers and distillers using craft malt, meet researchers. Um, and the other cool thing is uh, we're offering scholarships um, to that conference as well to folks from underrepresented uh, uh, groups in the craft beverage industry. So um, yeah, please help us spread the word about that because we, we would love to. Great. Yeah, let's definitely follow up. We'll, we'll, we'd love to feature it more on, on the website as well. So um yeah jesse thanks so much for taking the time to join us and spreading the gospel of craft malt um it was very interesting and educational as always and uh yeah definitely would love to you know stay in touch as as you work towards the conference in march in uh portland maine um you know it's an it's an honor to have you as our 100th guest on the porch cast 
Um, we're really Amazing. thank you. I can't believe I got to be the 100th guest. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I yeah. feel so special. Yeah. Um, for everyone here at the Porchcast, uh, we thank you for sticking tuned. Um, next, our next episode will be coming in two weeks and it will feature Kelly McKnight of New Belgium Brewing. Um, so excited to have her on the show. And uh, for a, a big thank you to my co-hosts as well, Bryant Vanderweerd, Corey, David. Uh, yeah, as always, it's, it's wonderful seeing your all spaces. Yeah, man. All right, this has been episode 100 of Porchcast. Be sure to follow us on all of your listening devices by subscribing and uh, give us a little rating as well. We'll check you later.